Hey mama, are you struggling to find time for everything that matters to you? Maybe you're working or running a business or volunteering or trying to follow another passion while still loving your family and you're struggling with it or you're not going after something that you really want for yourself because you don't think you have time. I get it. I was there and I found a path out that I've shared with clients over the years. So I've created a free video for you to watch to give you that first step to kickstart you into finding time for what matters most to you and to be able to do it without the guilt and the stress. So just pop on over to sandyfowler.com backslash find dash time and you can grab that free video and that will get you moving in the direction that you want to go. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today and for supporting the show. Rating and reviewing it in your podcast player, wherever you're listening, is one of the best things you can do to help other parents find it. The other is to simply tell them about the podcast. Let them know about an episode that really helped you or one you think that they might enjoy. Today, we're talking about something that I know a little bit about, enough to be dangerous, I think, and it goes toward personality assessment. I don't know if you've ever taken one. There are so many, you know, Myers-Briggs and DISC and a whole host of others. They've been popular for quite a while now, and I know people who will battle with you about which is the best and why it's the right one. Personally, I have a great appreciation for them when we can use them to help us grow and interact better. And when we don't allow them to limit how we see ourselves and how we see others by sticking them in an assessment box. So basically, it's a great tool. And there's one that I have found that I really enjoy using for personal growth as well as for a little help in family dynamics. It's called the Enneagram and Ashley Woods is joining us today to talk about that and to help us understand how we can actually use this for the better relationships and the personal growth that we want to see so we can be happier people. Ashley is wonderful. I I ran across her work and invited her to come do this with me. It's a topic I've wanted to cover for a while, but as you hear, I have a very particular view of how to use that. And her work is beautiful and brilliant. And she is the creator of Wild Hearted Retreats, Coaching, and Enneagram Sessions. Ashley facilitates transformational experiences that liberate and empower people to live their most creative, fulfilling and self-expressed lives. So Ashley, thank you for coming here and welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Could you first just kind of give us a a little bit of a a peek at what the Enneagram is? Yeah, sure. Um, So I think that you uh, did a beautiful job of introducing it and its intention. Um, And I think to say it most simply, you could call it a personality assessment. 
Um, but if we leave it at just that, we're really missing the deeper meaning and opportunity that it provides. So it is a model that depicts nine archetypal patterns of human behavior. You, you could say that these nine points on the Enneagram symbol represent these sort of archetypes of our egoic structure. And they each represent a patterning of thinking and feeling that has us see the world in a particular way and relate to ourselves and others in a particular way. Um, it gives us a set of uh, defense mechanisms and coping strategies that really help us kind of make our way through the world as human beings. The model itself is a very powerful tool for um, psychological and spiritual transformation. So it really attends to both um, psychological patterns as well as spiritual development. So it's very rich and robust for anybody who is interested in developing themselves personally. Um, it's, it's a very powerful tool. And I know as parents, we may be tuning in going, I'm interested in developing my teenager. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that we talk about here at Mighty Parenting is the best way to teach your kids something is to model it. And I yep. know that in our world, I told you, Ashley, that actually the evening before we're recording this interview, my daughter and I started talking about the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know that she had been, like it was a year ago or something, I think she said she had typed herself maybe even two years ago. Mm. And so we had a really interesting conversation. Nice. Just about the Enneagram. I mean, mm -hmm. but she was sharing things about herself as we talked about it. And that gave me more insights into the way she thinks and the way she sees herself yep. versus the way I see her, which is interesting. And it also allowed her to see me a little bit more or a little bit differently. I, you know, as they're teens and 20 somethings, that's when they eventually in there, they start seeing us as people. And even yeah. if they don't yet, it's important for them to know we are people, that we have feelings, that we make mistakes, that we have joy, that we have passions we want to follow, that all these things are part of us. And that's what you use the word rich. And that's what mm -hmm. I felt when I discovered the Enneagram, that it was very rich. Yes. And you're pointing to something that I really value about it in its capacity to have us better understand one another and to have compassion and empathy towards one another because we don't all see the world the same way. Yeah, I think it's really funny that you say we you know we really want to we want to work with our teens, we want to change them and but as we know people who are into personal development of any kind, you know that that our work always starts with us. Always. And the more we know ourselves, the the better we can understand ourselves, love ourselves, have compassion and empathy for ourselves first. It really uh, enables us to extend that to the other people in our lives in a much more authentic and real way. I am just so pleased that you said have compassion and empathy for ourselves first in, in my work as a stress relief coach. And I'm certain that 
in the work you do, which yep. is in a very compassionate space, right? That's yep. the usually the first thing that we end up working on with yep. a client is allowing and helping them to have self-compassion, which um, we learned Dr. Kristen Neff, which uh, I don't know if the interview will have been out by the time this airs. I'm taking an interview that I did with her and reworking it for Mighty Parenting because it's so beautiful. And it, the bottom line is what she teaches us is that we need self-compassion yeah. to build a happy life, to have good self-esteem, that it all starts with self-compassion. And this isn't an opinion. This is science. So yes. I think it's beautiful that the Enneagram can help us get there. Well, and when, and even in uh, Dr. Neff's work, part of what she points to in self-compassion is the, um, one of the fundamental components is a shared humanity. And this, this idea that like the, that we're all, we're all human and we have the whole range of what that means. And I think one of the ways that the Enneagram is really brilliant is that it points to the specific expression of our humanity, but it also helps us see this broad range of, of how, how our, our ego presents, which is just part of being a human. I mean, you don't escape being a human without an ego. Now, how that shows up for you can look very different than how it shows up to the person next to you. But, but ego is ego is ego. And so having compassion for yourself and how that manifest in your life and in your relationships, you can start to, um, again, just be a little kinder and softer with the people around you because we're all just trying to get our needs met in whatever ways we know how. And at the end of the day, we're all kind of looking for the same things and we have various strategies for going about that. Um, but yeah, when you start to discover, and I think you, you need a really healthy dose of compassion as you start to work with the Enneagram, because in and of itself, is, it's a tool that's going to illuminate some things that are not so pleasant to see. So <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. So unlike certain, you know, some personality assessments might feel really fun and playful and there's definitely aspects of the Enneagram. And certainly as you see it in, uh, social media and society today, there's a lot of memes that are fun and entertaining and they're just that they're entertainment. Um, and they point to some of the stereotypical aspects of certain Enneagram types and are really fun. Uh, but when you start to use it as a tool for your growth, it's not exactly what I would call fun. Um, it's, it's, it's some deep inner work. And when we start to shine light on those parts of ourselves that, um, we've, uh, <laughs> it, it just isn't always pleasant. Right. So I, I don't know if that's like a little bit of a warning, but I hope it doesn't deter anybody either because <laughs> on the other side of that, that sort of discomfort and cringeworthy sort of realizations is a great amount of freedom and power. So it's worth it. <laughs> I agree. And actually at a very, very cursory level, that side was very freeing to me right away because mm. when I did my type, it also showed me when I'm stressed, it said, this is what tends to happen when you're stressed, which mm -hmm. is actually like the more unpleasant part of a different type, right? Yeah. And when I looked at it, I went, yes. And granted, those aren't my 
best characteristics. However, what happened is when I looked at that and I saw that, number one, I went, oh my gosh, somebody actually gets me. Yes. And because I'm not <laughs> always the same. But what more importantly, what happened is I was able to go to my family because what I knew was the old adage of mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy was true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As soon as I started to get stressed, my whole family disintegrated. People would start bickering and being <laughs> short with me and I'm short with them. When I looked at my type, I was able to go to them and say, look, when I start doing these things, it's because I'm stressed. So number one, I will try to warn you <laughs> when uh -huh, you know, maybe uh -huh. it's for me, it's usually that it's work because they see what's going on in my personal life, but they don't see all the details of my work. So I yeah. try to give them a heads up when things are going to get really busy or if I'm doing something that's difficult or unpleasant in work and say, hey, I, I'm heading into this. I'm trying, you know, I will be aware of it and try to manage this better. Yeah. You need to be aware of it. Please cut me some more slack. But they also know. So if they see it and I haven't yet, they can mm -hmm. go, hey, mom, are you feeling stressed? Instead of the, the bickering and the tones and the snottiness, I'll throw them right back at me. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, you're you're highlighting very brilliantly the, the freedom and the power that comes with once we see something that we hadn't seen before, which is, again, one of the benefits of the Enneagram. It's so um, it, in such detail can articulate the specific patterns of a type that the things that you've been doing unconsciously for so long become conscious to you. And the only way we can ever really change or do anything about something is first and foremost, we have to be able to see it. You know, those things that exist in our blind spots will always get the better of us. But if we can see what's been in the blind spot. Now, all of a sudden we can do something about it. So yeah, you recognize that, wow, when I'm stressed, I start to do this thing. And maybe you've been do doing that for a long time, but it's been mostly an unconscious pattern for you. Well, now you can see it and name it as it arises, name it for what it is, which in and of itself will provide some relief. And yeah. then from there, you could make some really conscious de decisions about where you want to put your energy and your focus to intentionally move yourself in a different direction. And I mean, that's, that's power, man. That's the name of the game. It is. And some of it, I went, I'm not going to try to change this. You know, one thing is when I'm under stress, I just look at the shortest route from point A to point B, and I'm either going to do it myself or I'm just going to spit something out to, you know, to one of my family members quickly. And it'll just be, I need you, you know, I need you to wash yeah. the floor. I need you to do the grocery shopping. I need you to go take care of this at grandma's house uh -huh. as opposed to, Hey everybody, how was your day? I hope you had a great day. Good. <laughs> well, I have some things going on and I'm going to be really busy and I really need this. Not that the second way isn't much more pleasant. <laughs> but you know, if I'm doing all this heavy lifting and I'm going to be busy, I'm okay with kindly shortening it up. I mean, you know, not yeah. to have a terse tone of voice and not to be obnoxious or anything, but just that's why I give them a heads up. I'm like, this is how it's going to be for a couple of days or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I really need your cooperation to deal with it. That's when they get the very calm, kindly <laughs> lead in. But then for the next few days or few weeks, or at the time we're recording this, I'm in the midst of a 10 week course. And I talked to my family about it before we started it. I said, this is what I'm going to be doing. 
this is what it's going to do to my schedule. Yeah. This is what I need from you. Can you guys do this? Once they buy in and say yes, then okay. Now, yes, yeah. I do still work at curbing some of the less pleasant aspects of it, but I was able to look at it and go, I only have so much energy. I can only work on one thing at a time. So yeah. what can I actually, you know, what makes sense to me to work on? But then I can accept the rest and go, well, this is just the way it is right now. And we're all okay with that. Not saying I won't ever change it or it wouldn't be nicer if I could change it. But this is the choice we're making. And that's okay too. Well, there's a there's an owning it that I hear. There's an owning it and owning the also owning the repercussions of it or whatever consequences might come from it. So I mean, none of us make any efforts to change unless the results we're getting are not. Uh, more valuable than the price we're paying for it or the consequences we're paying for it. I don't know if I said that correctly, but I think you could you say it again. I mean. I mean, because you did and it was brilliant and I just yeah. want to hear it again. I mean, none of us make a change unless the results we're getting are no longer more valuable than the price we're paying for it or the, the, the consequences we're paying for it. So it's, it's, it's like, if you've got a behavior and I mean, maybe it's not ideal, but it works for you sufficient enough and the results you're getting are fine enough, then you're not going to change it. At some point, if it's no longer producing the results that you're really interested in or committed to, then you'll be willing to change the behavior. <laughs> but until then, I'm, it, it's sufficient or it's workable. Yeah. That, I, I love that. And what I want to do is flip that over on its head for a minute and remind ourselves of this as parents, this is what our kids are going to do, mm -hmm. right? That they're going to totally. keep doing what works for them until there is a, something that feels more valuable to them. Yeah. And I think we don't get that as parents. I think that we tend to move into a lot of what at its core, it's kind of an ugly term, but at its core, it's emotional manipulation. It's I'm going to get mm -hmm. upset with you and I'm going to be angry and I'm mm -hmm. going to be frustrated and I'm going to be sad and I'm not going to be as available to you. I'm, I'm going to be all these negative emotional things instead of digging in and having a conversation about it, which is something I think the Enneagram could help us do. You're saying like as a parent, I'll do these things in order to get you to behave in the way I want you to behave. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think we do that in relationship all the time uh, without understanding that what motivates one person doesn't motivate another. So even as you're talking, Sandy, I'm present to, you know, your type as a one and sort of what the fact that you communicate really responsibly with your family about what's going to happen now that you know it um, and all the parts of your personality that get displayed and uh, ones tend to have a very direct form of communication. You know, they're oriented towards um, getting things done. There's a hyper responsibility that's sort of underlying uh, one's behavior. They almost feel compelled to do the work they know is there to do and get it done. And it can be really easy to feel like other people should be like that too. I mean, that's that's for every type, right? Whatever, however we see the world and whatever moves us or motivates us, there can be a big assumption that other people see it the same way or they're moved by the same things. And we're just not, you know, not everybody has that great sense of responsibility that you do. And going to that, right. That goes back to this conversation with my daughter. 
Mm -hmm. And, and we'd actually had some extended family conversations. It wasn't specifically Enneagram because not all of my family's familiar with it, but the conversation was coming from that place that you just talked about is how do you see the world? What are your needs? And within our family, so how are your needs being met? Mm -hmm. What else do you need? Mm -hmm. And that conversation alone was fascinating. It wasn't what's your Enneagram type and then me making assumptions. It was you tell me how you see things. How do you see it? My actions. Like I think when I'm doing this, that I'm being kind and loving. Is that how it feels to you? And they're like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's really great. That's, um, that, that reminds me of our, a brief conversation before it's like everything gets a little bit more interesting when we come into relationship because, but we are always in relationship. And so much of who we are is in relationship to another person and how we show up and how we get to experience ourselves is largely determined by who shows up in the space with us. So here we are in this dance with one another and um, how we think we're showing up and being experienced may be very different from how it's landing over there with the other person. Which I think goes to creating a lot of the quote unquote behavior problems that we see in our kids. Mm-hmm. Not to, I'm not saying that parents are responsible for their kids' behavior problems, mm-hmm. but we do play more of a part sometimes than we realize. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think behavior problems quote unquote behavior problems come up due to lack for our kids. Like our kids have a lack of self-compassion. They have a a lack of understanding themselves and their purpose and what drives them and what's important to them. And Mm -hmm. I see Enneagram as possibly, you know, being a way to help with this. Is that something that we can do? Yeah. I mean, but even as you're saying it, um, we're, we're back to the beginning where it's like starting with you. I'm thinking that right. yeah, kids, kids don't have that as adults. I mean, I work primarily, I work with adults and adults don't have that, you know, they don't mm-hmm. have into a large degree, but they didn't grow up in families where that was modeled for them in an environment in which that that was really nurtured or encouraged. So if we want to raise kids that have self-awareness and they understand aspects of themselves and what motivates them and they can communicate that clearly and maybe they have these really healthy ways of articulating their needs to the people they're in relationship with, I mean, wouldn't that be brilliant? And we have to do that first. We have to learn to recognize those things within ourselves and have healthy ways of communicating those with the people in our lives so that they can see that being modeled and they learn those skills first and foremost from us. So how does Enneagram help us do that? Well, as a, as a tool for self-awareness, it's just really brilliant. Um, I've come across a lot of models in my uh, time in this field and I've yet to discover one that can, can so, um, so brilliantly just point, point to some of the things. So you can begin by discovering your own type and learning what it is that, that moves you. So each type is motivated. Like I said, there are nine of them. 
However, there are three variations of each type. So it's probably more accurate to say that there's 27 different types. Um, and in there, it points to what moves us. So each type has like a basic fear or a basic desire, um, something that is important to them, a, a, a focus of attention, a something that they're specifically looking for. So it can really help you to understand why you see what you see. You know, two people could walk into the same room, the same situation, the same meeting, the same family, and what registers on their field of awareness is different from the person standing next to them. Why is that? You know, why when I walk into this room, do I see um, an opportunity for improvement and you see um, someone you want to connect with? Because we're each looking, we're, we're specifically looking for different things and it shapes our entire experience. So if you can begin to discover that for yourself, first and foremost, to appreciate what you're paying attention to and why you're paying attention to it and why you do some of the things you do, um, you'll have much more freedom and power with some of your behaviors. It'll, it'll immediately give you a greater range, right? Maybe you don't always take the same action. Now you have the ability to stop and pause and reflect. Is that action actually in alignment with what you're committed to, or is it just an automatic tendency driven by a personality? Oh, interesting. Okay. So this underlining, underlying fear desire leads mm -hmm. to the reaction, that instantaneous reaction. But by becoming aware of it, yep. we start to create that Space, just that little space where we can pause and say, oh, no, I want to respond to this. And a thought, we get to think. When we respond, mm -hmm. it's a thought out. What do That's I right. choose to do in this situation? And we may choose the same thing. That's uh, totally. We, we absolutely may choose the same thing. However, it's likely that with such consciousness, we choose the same thing with a totally different energy, which mm -hmm. can make a huge difference. So it's, it's hard. We're kind of speaking theoretical, but I could say for myself, you know, I type on the Enneagram as a type seven, a social seven for people who are aware of the subtypes and, um, the predominant motivation for sevens is to avoid pain. Now that's kind of a fundamental thing that all humans have. I mean, we all have a movement towards pleasure and away from pain, but this is really more exaggerated or kind of hyper-focused in a type seven. So we tend to be upbeat, engaging, optimistic, um, rose-colored glasses, and there's a, there's a real tendency to avoid anything uncomfortable or potentially painful in the pursuit of what's, what feels better and lighter and more fun. So if I know this about myself and I am going through a particularly difficult time in my life, I, I can sense the part of me that wants to get really busy with creating something new rather than sit with the pain or the discomfort of what's happening. And it could be, you know, my, my father got some scary health news and it was um, you know, the unknown of what, what might happen. And I could feel the part of me that wanted to run like hell from that. 
and knowing what I know about my personality and it could, and could easily justify being busy, right? I own my own business. There's always something to do. So like I could go get busy and have it make perfect sense. But knowing what I know about myself, it was like, okay, you know, take a breath, Ashley, and just sit here for a minute and be with the fear that underlies this thing that we don't know. So it's just like one of the ways that it's like, now I have the, the capacity to make a conscious choice. I don't want to avoid this. I want to lean into it a little bit. Like, how can I sit with this fear, this discomfort, and then let it, let it um, inform how I'm going to move? Because at the end of the day, I'm really committed to showing up for my family and being there. And I'm sure my dad is scared. Okay, let me reach out to him. And, you know, in the past, I think I would have just told myself, it's all going to be fine. And I would have gotten busy and hoped for the best. Because that's, that's what my personality would have me do. But um, the greater part of me uh, gave myself some space to be scared and actually reach out to my dad and see if he was scared. And we've had some of the most intimate and heartfelt conversations over the last six months um, than, than we had had ever before. And that's that was a conscious move on my part that I wouldn't have made if my personality was running the show. Mm-hmm. And, and then in that space too, you're I'm making a, an assumption here that you are taking the time then and giving yourself the space to actually experience and process your emotions. So whatever happens, you yep. have dealt with these difficult things rather than pushing them down and having them emerge as health issues, behavioral issues, things that's like right. that. That's right. That's right. And that's, and that's, so that, that's the case for everybody. So it's like recognizing my tendency to run from pain for someone else that might translate into recognizing their tendency to want to people please at all cost. Right. So they might know that about themselves to some degree, but when they find their type and they can see that like, oh, that's motivated by this deep inherent need to be approved of, you can start to see where does my need to be approved of show up all over my life? Okay. What is that running from? Or what is that covering up? And if I can discover that and I can learn to be with that, then all the strategies I've developed to get approval are no longer necessary for me. Mm. Now, if I'm not run by strategy for approval, what's possible? Mm-hmm. There's like a whole new range of motion that becomes available. I love that, that we're in that what's possible realm. Mm-hmm. What I'm also hearing is I'm hearing that place of self-compassion, mm-hmm. of having this awareness of, okay, this is, this is who I am. This is my personality type. This is this desire or need bubbling up. And I can recognize that and I can acknowledge that with grace and with love and go, I get that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to choose to do this differently as you did. You said, I get that. I see the need in the desire to run from this Mm -hmm. and I'm going to choose to go this way. But there was self-compassion. There was no condemnation of you lily livered little Ashley, you're running away again. (laughs) You know, it was just okay, so this is part of who I am and I choose to honor this in a different way. Yep. And I think as sort of a, um, as you say that, I want to be sure to have this be very clear that 
when we discover our personality type and where we fit on the Enneagram, it isn't actually who we are, Mm. but it's, it's the primary way we cut ourselves off from who we really are. And that's a really important distinction. So talk about that a little bit more. Sure. Who we are is much bigger than some set of fixed emotional, psychological patterns and defense mechanisms. Who we are is limitless, spacious, divine, being, presence, right? Who we are is far greater. But our personality is the primary way that we cut ourselves off. It's the primary way we forget who we are and cope through life. So when you gave this example mm-hmm. of running from pain, yes, when you chose not to run, you were able to step more fully into who you really are. You're, you're not That's choosing right. to allow that to cut you off. And when that happened, you had this beauty in your relationship with your dad, plus I'm sure many other things Yes, as well. Yes, exactly. It's... Um, the difference in Enneagram language, uh, we use the phrase personality or ego and essence. We talk about the movement from a passion, which is like an emotional habit, to the virtue, which is the essence of who you are, what's possible for who you are. So, you know, sometimes I like to use the rainbow analogy, but it's like, you know, we are this rainbow spectrum of color as human beings. And we just get confused and we forget and we, th- we think we're red, <laughs> but you're not red. You know, you're a rainbow. And so it's, it's kind of like that. Like you're so much bigger than a fixed set of patterns. And we fall, we forget that. We forget our divinity. We forget our magnificence, our, 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 the fullness of who we are. And we fall into this sort of small, limited expression But I think that that's really important to remember because, um, and just to kind of bring it full circle from where you started, if we, if we take a personality assessment and we find our type and we go, "Ah, all right, I'm a seven, that explains everything. You know, we stick it on like a label and then we feel justified in being the way that we are because that's who we are. Then we've gravely missed the point. Um, that, that is, that is not who you are. And, um, it's just your fixed way of being. And it's the starting place for which all other things can grow and expand and be born. Uh, but don't get confused. <laughs> don't get confused and think that you are this this limited small expression when you are much more than that. Well, and that too was one of the things that I loved. I alluded to it briefly when I said, oh, it understood where I went under stress. But -hmm. it also talked about where I tend to go as I feel more relaxed and more joyful. But my understanding when when I read about the Enneagram initially is really what it's saying is all the best parts of all nine types are really who we are. Mm. And as you said, it's just these things getting in the way of us experiencing ourselves fully. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So this one last thing I want to talk about, because here's okay. the other thing that happens, right? We're in, whether it's a, a, a romantic relationship, a friendship, a parent-child relationship, and the parent-child and the spousal relationships, partner relationships tend to be, I think, the, the largest, um, I'm going to say offenders in this area is we do something like this and we type ourselves, but along the way we type everybody else and Mm. then we start boxing them. That was what I Mm -hmm. talked about at the beginning of this that I had an issue with is when we shove people into their personality box. So if I'm starting with me, because that's the only thing I can change. If you are a first time listener here at Mighty Parenting, spoiler alert, you're going to hear this over and over and over again. We can't actually change anybody else, including our children. We can only change ourselves. So we're starting with us and I'm working on this and I'm reading it and I type myself. I don't know anybody personally. I I haven't talked to you about this, Ashley, but I'm guessing you did too. We read it and these are the people we love most. I think we naturally start typing them. (laughs) Sure. <laughs> what do we do with that information so that it's actually of benefit to all of us and not <laughs> us sticking them in a personality box? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think you could remember what I just said a moment ago. It's like, even if you think you know their personality, it's not who they are. So you could make a commitment to continuously relate to the people in your life as possibility for all kinds of things and not just the limited expression that you see before you at any given moment. So I'd say that that's first and foremost. Um, but, but also, yeah, I mean, I would, I would caution anybody against that. Um, partly because we, we think we can type people based on behaviors, but the Enneagram is really about motivation. So two people could be taking the same action Uh, you might see them engaged in a similar behavior, but what motivates them is very different. So you have to be really careful because you can't always speak to someone's motivation. It's a very personal thing. And in fact, oftentimes people who maybe don't have a great deal of self-awareness developed within them just yet can't even speak to their motivation. They're doing what they're doing, but they can't even say why, you know? So I would just caution people against that because the mind does this really tricky thing when it thinks it knows something, which, you know, what does the ego love more than to think it knows be right about something that we begin collecting evidence. So you have a child that's, you know, maybe your child is quiet and reserved and likes to spend time alone and you're convinced that they're a nine and, or you're convinced they're a five or whatever you decide about them, your brain is naturally going to look to collect evidence to support your position, whether it's true or not, because it simply wants to be right. And that's just how the brain works. So you'll start to see things that support your position and ignore things, unconsciously ignore things that don't support it. And then you start to relate to this person as if they are a certain way. And so much of how people show up in our lives is a function of our expectation and what we look for. So back to that whole dance, you know, we are who we are in relationship to one another. And uh, people show up inside the space that we provide for them. So if you're whole, if you've got a particular space you're holding for your child and in, in that you relate to them as if they are a certain way, it's going to be really hard for them to be anything different, even if they really want to be. Mm-hmm. 
I love that. I love that. And so it seems to me that we can work on ourselves and the way that we take the Enneagram into our relationships is just at the base level of saying we all experience the world differently and have compassion for the fact that the people around us and our children experience the world and see it differently than we do. So when yes. they do something, instead of making assumptions, we can ask them. <laughs> That's yes. Yes. What motivated you to do that? Why did you do that? And they may not know, give them right. time, say, well, could you think about it and let me know tomorrow <laughs> what, what yeah. your reason was for doing that? One thing we can know, I mean, and, and in coaching, you, I'm sure you appreciate this and know this. It's like, people are always taking action consistent with how they see the world. So something may not make sense to you, but at some level it makes sense to them because we're, we're always moving through the world in a way that maps onto or correlates to our view. Mm -hmm. So somehow, some way it, it makes sense to them. And so, yeah, maybe asking, I think, stay, stay humble, stay curious, uh, be willing to be surprised. All of those things I think are beautiful qualities to bring to any relationship, whether it be our partner, our kids, our business, you know, coworkers or whatever, maybe it's, you know, drop what you think you know about this person to some degree and allow yourself to be curious and surprised. Yeah. I, live curious is one of our mighty parenting mantras. And I, I think it was actually our 25th anniversary, which was four years ago. And my Mm -hmm. husband and I went out to dinner and I decided to just do one of these, like they'll give you lists of questions, ask your kids some of these questions around the dinner table instead of just how was your day, right? Something a little more thought provoking. And I don't remember what I asked my husband, but it was something along the lines of, you know, what was your very favorite childhood experience or something pretty open. Yep. And he talked for hours about this. Like we had this big conversation just about this one thing after being married for 25 years. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah. we definitely don't know everything about another person. I just kept going, really? Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know you thought that because it was also how he saw things and stuff. So I love that. So Ashley, if someone's going, huh, this is interesting. I think I'd like to get started with this. Number one, how should they do that? And then also, how do they get in touch with you? You can certainly find lots of good information about the Enneagram on the internet. Um, My only little um, word of caution would be that it is quite popular and trendy. So there are some less credible resources out there. So you want to just sort of be cautious. I would say, you know, connect with someone who is um, doing their own work, clearly doing their own work and has some skills and some training behind them. And um, yeah, you can find an assessment. There are a handful of good ones. Um, I offer an Enneagram deep dive session that includes an assessment and a, a 90 minute session in which we sort of unpack your type or sometimes get, sometimes it's not a uh, immediately obvious what your type is. And I mentioned briefly something about subtypes, but that's one of the reasons it can be a little bit confusing. So I would, I would caution against a few things. And one would be, you know, don't, don't get online, take some free assessment and take whatever result it gives you as if it's true, because there's a good chance that it's not accurate. So find somebody that's doing their work, find a professional that's trained that you can talk with. And then, um, 
yeah, get curious about how you can use it to further your own development and, and deepen your relationships with people in your life. So I, I, like I said, I have that session. It's, um, yes, my contact is ashleywoods.com. So Ashley's A-S-H-L-I-E woods.com. And I have all kinds of resources on there. And of course, Ashley's information will be in our show notes with a link to her site. And thank you, Ashley, so much for such a helpful and insightful conversation today. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. And thank you, Mighty Parents, for being here, for supporting the podcast, and for being willing to learn and grow and be the parent that you want to be. So I appreciate you. And I just want to remind you that if you are here, if you're listening to this podcast, then you are a mighty parent. You got this. I will see you next week.